Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the NXT 2.0 review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT 2.0. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT 2.0, but also Money Night SmackDown, AW Dynamite, <laughs> AW Rampage, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle chat. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review NXT 2.0. Uh, Hamlet, it's been a few weeks since you sat down to review this show, and it's aged like a fine wine, hasn't it? It's aged too well. Um, I quite enjoyed this, and I, that's not in the script for this podcast, is it? I feel like I should just log off now and let you two crack on, because I thought the whole point of this was to rip the piss out of this bizarre manifestation of developmental, of all these awful ideas that the four old rich white dudes have behind the scenes. Um, and I didn't hate much of this at all. Like, I, I just enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy most of it, ironically. This felt like, of all the episodes so that I was able to see, and then the ones I've missed... When we were campaigning for an NXT like this to exist in place of the one that came before it, Triple H's deathly dull CWC skulls and Iron Cross nightmare, this would have been the one I would have chosen as like a decent wrestling show. I didn't get a lot of ironic kicks out of this. And there's one moment, and of all the moments, it couldn't have been for anybody better, where I thought, holy, they've actually got something here. They might have actually made a star as well. I was, I was flabbergasted with how decent this was. Yeah, much the same. There was certainly moments to enjoy, ironically. Von Wagner in the woods oh. with Tyler. Oh, yeah. The team bonding. Oh, my God. That was awesome. Oh, but there was some yeah. legitimately, like, holy, good. holy hell, have they actually done something here? Can't <laughs> <laughs> even moments of that. Other moments were hilarious. Yeah. But, like, the blend here was... One earnest. moment I thought someone might die on my television. Christ, earnest and ironic uh, praise directed towards this week's edition. And they've set up... The best Halloween havoc ever, quite possibly. I have no notes on this upcoming show. We'll get to it when we run down the Halloween Havoc card. But I think it I'll could save it for the preview. I think it could be better than AW All Out 2021. Just putting it out there. Uh, let's dive straight into this show. It opened up 
uh, with a recap of what happened in the main event of last week. Love the ending to last week's show. Carmelo Hayes cashing in, uh, defeating Swerve and becoming the NXT North American champion. He comes out first. He's joined by Trick Williams. Uh, they get the introduction once, once and then twice just to really embrace the fact that they are the new champion. Uh, Trick says that they look good. They've got money, but most importantly, they've got gold. There's nothing humble about them. In fact, you can find humble in the dictionary after hell no. We are having a melibration tonight. Uh, Carmelo takes the mic. He says he stepped on the scene four and a half months ago and blew through the breakout tournament to prove he is the final boss. He walked around for two months like Mello in the chocolate factory, waiting for that opportunity to take what's his before he swerved, swerve. Uh, he says when he shoots, he doesn't miss. And from this point on, he's calling the shots. He's the leader of the new school. And this is the A championship porting to the North American championship as long as it's around his waist. He doesn't care if Champa, management or anyone else has a problem with it. And then he's interrupted by a returning Johnny Gargano who says, can you feel that? The energy in the room has just changed. He doesn't think that these two have been introduced, though. He says, look, I've had my eye on you, Carmelo. Uh, as someone who's held the title more times than anyone, he wants to come out and congr congratulate Hayes. Look, this is a celebration. It's fun. He's been having a lot of fun lately. He's had bachelor parties, weddings and honeymoons. Oh, my. But now Austin Theory's on Raw, Indy's married, and Candice LeRae's, of course, pregnant and home. So, therefore, he's lost his way. But he thinks what's next for him is staring him in the face. And uh, he says there's a first time for everything. And when it comes to Mello not missing when he shoots, and he suggests that Hayes takes a shot at him. In comes Trick Williams here. He tells Gargano he needs to worry about his daughter, Indy Hartwell, um, because uh, Hartwell's been in Mello's DMs all week. And Gargano laughs along with all this. And Carmelo says, shouldn't you be more upset about your daughter and, and what we're suggesting here? And he says, oh, well, yeah, you're probably right. But I tell you, he's going to be even more annoyed. My son-in-law, Dexter Lewis, is there. He snuck up on them. He grabs Williams in a choke, but Hayes takes him out of the ring, but they leave the NXT North American Championship behind and they're too scared to get in there with these two men and grab it back. Sage, what did you make to this opening segment? I feel like the actual Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams portion was significantly stronger than what followed and what it's going to lead to. However, I do feel that's going to be an aberration because Carmelo Hayes already has found the impossible trick with which like a select handful of WWE stars can somehow conspire to achieve. He is so cool that he transcends how lame this show is. There are certain <laughs> points during this specific broadcast, which I half enjoyed, half and half ironic and earnest, where they position the camera like in front of the stage set and it, like, it feels like a day-glow nightmare of <laughs> desperation just oozing through the LED screen and there are so many rubbish bits in it. Carmelo Hayes, in this context, which is key, in this context, somehow just comes off smooth, confident, genuinely cool. Like, I'm not quite falling for the character yet in that Mark way that somehow 30-plus millennial males can do but i'm close the sky rules yeah um this was like formulaic but this reminded me a little bit of when um when drew mcintyre was sometimes good as wwe champion and every raw had to start the same way and everything had the formula that you know they just rigidly stuck to but it was all about like the characters believing what they were saying and how much like they made you care about the feuds that they were setting up and things like that so as much as this followed formula, 
completely echo Sidgwick's point about Carmelo Hayes. And I love this act. I think, like, of all the debuts out of nowhere that we pretended that we had to be watching them for 10 years when NXT 2.0 first started, these two felt like the ones that you actually did. I just felt completely mm-hmm. invested in these straight away. And that's stuck. And it's great that, like, Carmelo Hayes has got a belt and WWE bastardized the word, but momentum, actual momentum off the back of last week. Um, that felt real and it felt tangible. And Gargano, we're, pr- presumably he exists just to give Carmelo Hayes an awesome match and be a legitimate star in this context for Carmelo Hayes to go over. You'll have the tag matches and all the kind of hurdles to get to first, but then you'll have this. So it's kind of effective booking as well of Carmelo Hayes, like getting him on the way. Um as I say, like the promo could have fallen to the formula because it's always dependent on who's in there. But I like these characters and I believed all the things they were saying. And the Dexter Loomis-Gargano relationship is kind of where we always wanted it to be. It's reached the point now where they can actually be cute, aligned baby faces and it not feel as ridiculous as it first did when they'd only just stopped fighting. So there was a, a certain, considering the characters involved, there was a certain natural quality to all of this. Mm, that yeah, for a tired trope, like you two say, that they use all the time. I really enjoyed this to open the show. I think it's such an exciting prospect ahead of us, like you say, the potential match with Gar- Gargano and Hayes, more interactions between Trick Williams and Dexter Loomis, please. And oh, what we've got coming our way next week on Halloween Havoc. It just, it's just very, very exciting, all this. And I, and I can't see, wait, wait to see where they go with it next. It was immediately followed uh, by Andre Chase versus Odyssey Jones. Andre Chase uh, dedicating this match to his student section or wearing those Chase U jumpers, which Andre actually wrestled in. Uh, and by wrestle, I mean got absolutely wrecked by Odyssey Jones. He takes control chucks him about all over the place. Uh, Chase did get some offense in. He dodged a, a turnbuckle charge from Odyssey Jones, drop kicks him, stomps on him, stomps on his chest, stomps on his head, gets a DDT, covers him. And this is something that still pops me every time when the, the huge guy kicks out a one and sends the bloke who's pinning him flying off him. Uh, up gets Odyssey Jones, catches a shot of uh, Andre Chase's, punches him down, uh, hits a huge body slam, somersaults over him, splash, one, two, three. Odyssey Jones just looks like a star, doesn't he, Hamlet? He does, and you get that when the matches are more about the whole than the sum of their parts. Like, I'm not saying the work was bad in this match because it absolutely wasn't. Odyssey Jones is super impactful. Uh, Andre Chase, at the moment, knows his role impeccably. Like, he understands that you can be... Uh, a comedic character that can lose a lot but still retain a certain star power because your character's getting over and he commits to it and I like watching that and he's he's willing to lose like a three-minute television match. And this is where, and I think this is one of the few things we earnestly credited in the early days of 2.0, there is absolutely merit to these matches not outstaying the welcome and going two or three minutes. There was nowhere near enough time to get bored. There was nowhere near enough time to get sick of the Odyssey Jones offering and see that maybe it's a little bit smaller than we'd like you know, I can just think of prior times when not so much WWE main roster, but NXT would have tried and failed to get big guys over because of the obsession with sending them out there for nearly 10 minutes and you're sort of sick of it by the end. So this was far from a sacrifice of the work they've done with Andre Chase. This was just a really good night for Odyssey Jones. Andre Chase will be back next week in another mini feud that he'll probably lose, but you'll get a bit more of the character each time as you go and eventually you'll get his win. Meanwhile, Odyssey Jones feels like he's on the fast track like effective television wrestling. Sorry, this is really boring for NXT 2.0, isn't it? I just thought this was really effective. Yeah, I mean, it's just remarkably competent. What you have here <laughs> is the guy you wish to spotlight. 
a really, really entertaining, as Hamford says, impactful guy whose stuff looks genuinely painful to absorb and entertaining to watch. So he struck the perfect balance there. And in Andre Chase, you have a loser who's a funnier character the more apoplectic he gets. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to some student in his stupid skits next week pointing out the fact that, why am I getting taught by you? Can I not have a guest lecturer by the name of Odyssey Jones? He's going to throw a few F-bombs. They're going to get... It's like the Timothy Thatcher stuff, but good that they did with all this. Yeah, it's absolutely outrageous. Um, this was remarkably competent, digestible fun that serves both characters equally well in gasp, clean loss and clean defeat. And just and no wasted, like, what's this, what, five minutes? Less than that, probably. No need to go 12 minutes with this. We know what's going to happen. We all knew that Odyssey Jones was going to beat Andre Chase, so why mess about with it? Honestly, I'm so surprised by the extent to which I enjoyed some of this and just wait until the take I've got for you in the next match. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is, just to say, this is not a dig at the person I'm about to compare Odyssey Jones to, but I feel more for Odyssey Jones than I ever did Bronson Reed. And I don't mean that to be critical of Bronson Reed. I always just got so, so much of him that the presentation at the moment is night and day between the two. And Bronson Reed would, would be sensational on this show as well, I think. I think he'd do just fine based on this, what we've yeah. seen so far. Based on the Bronson, evidence we've got here. Bronson Reed got stop, start. Do I take you seriously? Do I not? This happens so often that I can't, in fact, take you seriously. Then they decide to strap him up. Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard were booking a Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine as well when he hits, if, he hit, if they had him in this, they could, because it would work in the context of NXT 2.0 if every time he hit the tsunami, the camera wobbled. Like, it was like, whoa! Don't get enough of that on Mondays. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean it like <laughs> that. Uh, I'm not getting Kevin Dunn involved just yet. But look, I, I love this show because it just gives me everything. Like you say, short, short bursts of matches. And Malcolm Bivens giving more TV time. Yes, he gets on the mic. He's got a very simple point to put across. The Cree brothers deserve a title shot, but he gets a nice line in there as well. He says, "I was earlier on today, I was doing what I do best, minding my own business and not getting jumped in the parking lot. Uh, he says, loads of people are asking for these championship opportunities. That's crazy, because what about the Cree brothers who, Hamlet, I think you were around for the Cree brothers, but certainly we've been cooing about them for weeks, if not months now. They deserve a title shot. Uh, he says he knows that's not how it works, so they won't be asking for opportunities, Diamond Mine. They are going to take it. And the Cree brothers were in action following this against, oh, it's, not, it's not all good, the show, Imperium. Um, but even the bad stuff was counted because the jacket guy came along at the end of this. So uh, yeah, I'm all right with it. So uh, again, another just mad showcase of Julius and Brutus and their insane offense. Um, you know, Marcel Bartel, good technical wrestling and Brutus goes, oh, cool. Yeah. But I just can belly to belly you to get out of all that. Um, Julius comes in after Brutus gets hit with a big boot. Uh, Roderick Strong jumps up on the apron to get a distraction. That allows the Creed brothers to take over Julius at one point tags in and suplexes his brother onto Bartel, which looked great, covers him. Uh, Brutus puts a sleeper on, but Bartel rolls him up uh, subsequent to getting out of that and tags in uh, Fabian Eichner, who comes in, cleans house. Uh, he hit a rolling fireman's carry slam on Julius that got a nice near fall. Brutus has to come in and break that one up. Um, Brutus sees Bartel coming off the second rope, catches him, nails a gut-wrench powerbomb. Agner has to come in and break up the count. This is when uh, Ikamanjiro and Kushida, they run down to ringside because their issues with Diamond Mine. There's a big brawl. That distracts Brutus. That allows Bartel to roll him up 
and get the victory. And as uh, Ikaminjiro and Kushida brawl with the Creed Brothers and Diamond Mine to the back, MSK run into attack Imperium, because of course Imperium attacked them recently. They do that lovely push flip thing. Uh, and then Wesley hits a mad dive onto Imperium on the outside as they challenge Imperium for a match for the tag titles at Halloween Havoc. Can I just shock you? Go on. I like Imperium. What? <laughs> I mean, I don't. They're very boring. But Jesus Christ, Fabian Aikner's fire-up spot here. Yes. It's legitimately fantastic. Like I was I had all the time in the world for this. I remain somewhat concerned by the dulling of the Creed Brothers. They basically, surely, have had a little talking to backstage by the people who know these things. Like, you know, don't, as the case may be. <laughs> right. That rule, they need to channel that. Yeah, it's probably a little bit reckless, a little bit dangerous. Um, just calm the hell down. Mm-hmm. So I did get overtones of this being a little bit more calm than the total and utter reckless chaos with which they debuted. But I thought it was a smart little match. I was genuinely on the hook for the um, shifting direction in the tag team title picture because the cynicism informs a certain chaotic unpredictability of, oh, they're bored of Imperium, just like us, so they're going to get the, the young hard lads involved. So I was on the hook for the drama. Um, the match itself wasn't blow away great or anything, but Aikner's stuff looked awesome. And I don't know what informed the reaction MSK got. Either this Florida crowd are suspiciously <laughs> adverse to MSK for reasons I can't possibly say on a podcast, or this show on a general level doesn't just burn through things it incinerates itself <laughs> across the two hour duration that i'd totally forgotten that imperium had yeah and registered this as like payback i just thought it was wwe booking baby faces to be dicks either way either the crowd are a nasty strain of people mm-hmm. or this show to its detriment is Far too much because MSK got booed badly here. And realistically, it's not the first time this has happened to them. And I don't get it at all. Yeah, the personification of what a tag team should do in, in 2.0. Well, the nerds, that's a, a problem. Like, people don't like geeks at all. Um, what a bad take of mine the other week. I wrote an article about how WWE, in presenting deliberate geeks like John Morrison and Riddle, might be onto something. That's all pissed in the wind because MSK, I think, are simply too geeky that the fans just actively resent mm. them. It's happened across pro wrestling history. Um, the Young Bucks, PWG 2009, probably the most accurate analogy considering that mm. MSK, in a better world, are their sort of spiritual successors. They were once deemed far too cutesy and dorky, and the PWG crowd turned on them something fierce in 2009. We're getting a mirror of that um, in MSK. Hopefully, MSK can go on to make loads and loads of money and piss off the right people. Yes. Trajectory is going to realize itself. Yeah, absolutely. Hampler, what do you think of how your boys, uh, how Imperium got on here? <laughs> well, I thought they were part of a problem that was that contributed to the booze of MSK, but then if, that, if this is something that's happened, on other episodes, maybe there's something bigger here. I thought this was um, this booking was too ambitious, and that was, and the result was that MSK got booed. You were asking bizarrely, although yeah, it really did work with uh, Fabian Eichner's hot tag. But you were asking the fans to take Imperium as the baby faces for the bulk of the match because the Creed brothers are just dangerous hard lads and the Diamond Minder heels. But then the second the bell rings, you've got to flip them to being heels again because it's MSK running in and attacking them. 
and they're supposed to be the baby faces in that feud. Mm. So I thought that I thought that was maybe why MSK were booing is because for the last seven or eight minutes, the crowd have been warming to Imperium. And then the second they actually kind of get to celebrate something with them, a win over these dangerous Creed brothers, all of a sudden you've got to start booing them again because you're supposed to like this team more. Like it, ambitious is maybe generous, maybe it was maybe it was bad looking, or but you know, like it felt ambitious because I could kind of see what they were trying to do. Um had the exact same feeling about the Creed brothers as Sidgwick did. Um, there was a couple of times where it was almost like transparent. It was, you know, like the commentators have got people in their ears. It felt like the wrestlers had somebody in the ear saying, grab a hold, grab a hold. And it was just like, slowed down for just a second with the chin. Like, it was like, that's the first chin lock I've seen those guys do. I don't like that. Let's get back, <laughs> let's get back to filling the space with violence instead, can we? But obviously that was that was never going to last. I think we've said as much in their debut back in the CWC. Um, so yeah, the booze. I thought were as a result of asking a little bit too much of the audience's loyalties across this across this match. Like effectively, every team of the three of them were both heels and baby faces across like seven or eight minutes of television. So you're gonna get like you're gonna muddy the waters there, unfortunately. It's a weirdly specific NXT problem that has remained a constant throughout mm. the translation. Mm. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get a new gimmick on this show, but I didn't care about that because we've got an incredible vignette segment. <laughs> With team bonding between Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner, I just oh I, I couldn't have we we I know we've we've pitched a lot of things and, and nailed quite a few things on this show, but I didn't see this coming in the best possible way. Kyle O'Reilly's there, he's the best got, worst possible way. No, let's be completely clear. Just best. Um, Kyle O'Reilly's there, he's in his biking gear, they're in a forest, and Von Wagner rolls up in his car. He's got his camo on, and he basically says, where well, we're going, we don't need bikes. Uh, they're going to do training in the forest. They pick up a log and they run around with it on their shoulder and they do some push-ups and stuff with it and they lift it and chuck it about and then they swing an axe into a tree. It's all so bloody manly, all this. This guy's being dudes. It's just guys being dudes. <laughs> and... Uh, Sarah on the campfire after a long, hard day. And uh, Bond turns to him and says, Von Wagner thinks you got one more bit of training to do. And that's some 12-ounce curls. He's bought the beers. Crack them open, lads. Carl O'Reilly says, hey, man, you're out there. But you know what? I'm kind of out there, too. We got <laughs> the same page. We can cause some damage. Let's kick some ass. P- perfect. No notes, Michael Hamplet. I, nothing to add. Just a series of dudes posting their Ws, wasn't it? That's what this was. Like, I love this because I was absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. But all I knew before I had to briefly take a break on NXT 2.0 was Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner, the lifelong friends. So just getting to see what it is that has bonded them all these years. It's just, you know, kind of like tying up some of those loose ends we might have had. How dare we criticise and say that it was a relationship out of thin air? When well, you did help Von Wagner. <laughs> yeah. Just, this is one of two things. This is either the first of several awful, like I was going to say the first of several awful Kyle O'Reilly ideas that are going to happen in 2.0, but they started well before 2.0 existed. Let's not pretend this is a problem exclusive to 2.0 when it comes to O'Reilly. Or this is going to be the one that we're going to laugh about the most the day that he debuts in AW whenever his contract runs out and we we kind of get Kyle O'Reilly back. Like we're going to laugh about Bike O'Reilly or you know Woods O'Reilly or whatever. He's just this particular set of vignettes, more so than Orange Cassidy knockoff Cool Kyle, more than all the other things that we've kind of just felt. Like I, I felt allowed 
to enjoy taking the piss out of Kyle O'Reilly rather than the the guilty sensation I've had watching this guy just like just sort Found of disappear it. from yeah, like just flounder completely during and after Adam Cole's departure. Um I, di- I didn't feel guilty anymore. I felt like we were allowed to sort of all come together and enjoy Kyle O'Reilly kind of being a bit of a tit. I uh, got a prediction for you. It's sort of stepping all over Briggs and Jensen's gimmick, but I reckon next week these boys are getting into a bar fight. Well, it, it's Briggs and Jensen, except it's Riley and Wagner. This was so good. I, I, I've got the complete opposite feeling to Hamlet here because this wasn't a guilt-free experience for me because as funny as it is, as piss-poor as it is, I, I continue to feel a stinging, vicarious embarrassment on behalf of Von Wagner, who looks so <laughs> visibly uncomfortable <laughs> trying to be like this sort of rural everyman who just like thinks a lot of his mates, who just wants to like bang together, make a connection with someone. And, you know, he just gets the beers in. Oh, it's Von, you know, Von likes a brute. <laughs> Von just like he loves a lovely drop, and it's just like he's so weird. I'm sorry, it's the only way I can use to describe yeah, the guy. That's fair. I don't want to say he's got a weird energy. Um, so much so, right, that if this segment took a sharp pivot into Von Wagner kills Kyle O'Reilly <laughs> in the woods, <laughs> and he's been a heel all of this time, and simply he wanted to, he's pinpointed the nearest threat, the guy who's just taken Adam Cole out of the territory, the territory that he wants to rip through and make his own. And he's thought, right, I need to get him out of here. I'm a weird, eerie, uncanny serial killer. I'm going to kill him in the woods. Seriously, like, if this had happened, and considering what did, this makes it all the more insane. If this had happened, I would have legitimately, looking at Von Wagner's performance, have said, oh, of course it was leading to that. <laughs> well, like if Colin Riley doesn't appear for the next sort of three weeks, but Von Wagner's just working again, and it's only on about week three that somebody asks the questions, oh, wait, where's Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner? I, I don't know. Last time I saw him was in the woods, and then I, I haven't seen him since. Nothing. And, nothing. and then, in another skit, deft dovetailing booking on NXT 2.0, Tony D'Angelo can go and bury someone in the woods, right? <laughs> put his shovel in the ground. He's like, hey, wise guy, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> and he's digging up Kyle O'Reilly's bones. Where he's I'm digging here. Meanwhile, meanwhile. Of LA Knight, I don't know. <laughs> meanwhile, one man is literally wearing Kyle O'Reilly's face. To the, <laughs> uh, the hits just came on, keep kept on coming here because we got a little promo from Joe Gacy discussing his loss last week. He said it was a setback. Maybe NXT 2.0 isn't a safe space after all, but the mission remains the same. We don't need violence to set our, our issues. He's not going to be triggered. He doesn't like violence. He doesn't like people who Why make... Why are you a combat athlete? He doesn't like people who make microaggressions. You see, he's got empathy, Michael Sidgwick. He's going to speak for us as a coalition and we are going to be stronger together. And then he, he holds his hand out to the screen and he says, touch my hand. And then... Touch grass. And then... In a sensational development, we see Harland. This oh, you haven't seen this, have you, uh, Hamlet? Harland is uh, Deacon Batista, um, but uh, what was his name? 
Oh, the bloke, I can't remember what he's called. Parker Boudreaux. Parker Boudreaux is now Harland. Oh, uh, yeah. And he touches, he touches Joe Casey's hand. Joe Casey says, <laughs> I haven't quite, quite got Joe Casey bingo here. Follow me, little snowflake. Oh, no, there it is. Bingo. Brilliant, dude. I mean, my God. This <laughs> continues to be utterly demented. NXT became the heel promotion in October 2019, masquerading as a babyface promotion, but everyone really kind of resented it. And it, if it was a tweener, it's now gone full-blown heel because, then again, has it? Because it exists to, like, make boomers gently fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> and the boomers are probably thinking, oh, someone kicks his ass. <laughs> God damn it, oh, someone kicks his ass. It, 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 the same problems exist, don't they? Like, is this guy, is he the snowflake that he speaks of or is he wanting to be, like, none of this makes any sense at all. He's, it, it's revealed itself. You missed the match last week where he was like feigning to be sportsman-like and all the rest okay. of it. And then he was starting to cheat a bit during the weeks right, that yeah. you were off. So the gimmick, we've cracked it in mm-hmm. your absence, is that he's a virtue signaler, you see. He's the performative right. virtue signaler who claims to want to wrestle competitively and fairly, no close fists, all the rest of it. But when the referee's back's turned or his opponent's been caught unaware, that's when he decides to cheat or hit them really hard. Or set Haaland on them going forward. Yeah, so the idea is that he's a virtue-signalling hypocrite who doesn't have an ounce of actual virtue in his body, just like the liberal left. (laughs) (laughs) They got there with it. They got there with it. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Electra Lopez versus Cora Jade was next. Before that, though, uh, Legado del Fantasma are in the ring. Santos Escobar there to discuss his loss to Swerve last week. He says the first words he ever heard in was, may God always bless you with luck. And that was always the case, at least until last week. He says, come on, I you're a lucky son of a bitch. I don't think he talked like that. No, he said... But he and Senorita Luck are going to find him. Hands the mic to Electra Lopez before she can even speak. Here comes the person who can't skateboard, Cora Jade. She does one motion with her leg. And then she picks it up and runs around the ring. I know we described this to you, Hamlet, but was it even better at watching this go down? One motion with a leg and she looks like she's working a scaffold match. Like the skateboard's on the ground. <laughs> I, I can't skate, and I think I could manage a couple. The the aisle, like, is what, like six, seven foot? She looks petrified. How has this happened? Like, you know, normally it's sort of like you must must be watch your thing. You must be into something. Well, I, I play Tony Hawk's home. Get her a skateboard. Get no, I didn't. Skateboard. I didn't say I could ride a skateboard. Yeah, sure. oh, gaming. Carry it. I like I like gaming. No, we've got it now. <laughs> skateboard shopper in business. Not out of the game because Adam Cole. So and and. <laughs> I think you'll find on NXT 2.0, once we decide someone's gimmick, it will not change. What about Grayson Waller? I said it will not change. <laughs> a brief match here. Lecture Lopez dominated a lot of it. Uh, big body slam. She's chucking Cora Jade all over the place. Cora Jade fights back a little bit, but then she gets ragdolled again. But out of nowhere, inside cradle from Cora Jade, it looks like Electra Lopez gets her shoulder up. But regardless, the referee counts the three. Cora Jade stole one, Sige. I mean... What, what is there to say about this? I can't think of anything. No. I all I, I was surprised that this is where this match went because I saw Cora Jade come out and I thought this in the vignette where it was just like, oh, you know, you're my boyfriend, you're my superhero. I thought, oh my God, she is, she's got that baby face energy that Vince and Bruce cannot wait to cruelly bully on television. Like they're going to let her get six wins and then they're just going to do something absolutely horrendous to her. She just comes across earnestly nice and you just think, yep, yeah, that's the kind of like face they're going to want to shove into a cake, very literally. Only, only the cake's made of pig or something like that. You know, like think of the mop bucket on Tristratus, that kind of like just really, really hideously awful. And they're going to say, yeah, but what about the comeback? The comeback's going to be great. And then I watched the match and she steals one in a minute and a half. I was like, oh, not that then. <laughs> I don't know. Electra Lopez uh, is no good. <laughs> like go back to the days where she was doing one power slam on a fella or something because the matches, these are bad. These are really bad. <laughs> yeah, they're so small. Bad for them, Reynolds. We got no round of where we are. <laughs> uh, we'll get to another pretty uh, iffy match in, in due course. But before that, Tommaso Ciampa, for now the NXT champion and Brian Breaker uh, backstage and literally they get asked if they can coexist. Piss off of this. You're not allowed to bury your own tropes and then proceed to do them. No, it's not allowed. Basically, uh, Brian Breaker, he's been studying the tape. He says, look, I know, I know what happens here. We have miscommunication, blah, blah, blah. It all goes to pieces. I, I'm not going to let that happen tonight. You watch yourself. We're headed to Halloween Havoc for fight for the title. And Champ says, hey, do you not remember when you said you're going to keep me safe until Halloween Havoc so we can have a fair fight? 
I'm just following your lead. And they have a little stare down and he walks off and I think, God damn, I love you, Bron Breaker. Uh, and then we get little inset promos from L.A. Knight and the Thrill Seeker, who's also a Golden Gloves champion, Grayson Waller. They both want to host Halloween Havoc. Why? Hey, look what it did to <laughs> Shotzi. Yeah, look what it did for her career. She, she didn't get a title shot when she should have. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, then we get this triple threat match. It was a member of Toxic Attraction, specifically JC Jane, Persia Pra, and Io Shirai, one half of the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, for the right to spin the wheel, make the deal. And they openly acknowledged at the start of this match, you hear this on commentary, he, he, turns, to, he turns to Wade Barrett and he says, uh, what's the benefit of winning uh, this sort of match? And he basically went, there isn't really any benefit whatsoever. You just, you're the one spinning the wheel that gives you a random match type, but I'd rather be the guy rolling the dice than watching someone else. What? Anyway, regardless, that's not what going to be people are going to be talking about after this match. Look, Persia Brot got some good offense in initially. She got to double team both of them. Uh, also, Hoy's Jane about in this fireman's carry. Um, Jane gets sent into a Samoan drop via a drop kick from Io Shirai. But yeah, the bit everyone's talking about is, of course, the bit with Persia Prata on the outside. JC Jane goes for a dive, slows down, slash catches her foot on the ropes and takes a really rough bump out there. By the time we come back from the break, she has been taken to the back. She can no longer medically continued. And then the match sort of works because it's, you know, Io Shirai only working with one green wrestler rather than two. So she's just, you know, trying her damn best. Io Shirai is obviously far too good for this sort of thing. Um, she goes for a, a Rana on Persia Parotta, but she catches her and puts her, uh, nails her with a sit-down powerbomb for a near fall. Io Shirai eventually fights back, roundhouse kick, 619, springboard drop kick, goes for a cover, gets a two-cam, puts her in a crossface, Persia fights out of it, kicks Io, but Io uh, gets out of it, hits her with a German suplex, does that walk over, gets up on top, hits that picture-perfect moonsault, one, two, three, Io Shirai wins, her team will spin the wheel, make the deal, and they do so, and it lands Michael Hamlet on Scareway to Hell. A ladder match. We haven't had one of them in NXT for ages. Oh, I, like, I, we'll save the ladder match crack for next week's preview because it'll fill some time on that one and get us through the mid-roll lad. We've got games on that. We've got games for days. It's, that's true. Oh, this match, man. What a disaster. And a disaster of their own making, ultimately. As you rightfully said, and like, I know you weren't being cruel in your criticism, but they're both green as grace. And Io Shirai was asked to go out there with two women green as grace and try to make something look better than that. And that's not fair on Io Shirai, nor is it fair on Perotta or JC Jane. Um, the ambition is noble to be attempting dives, obviously for JC Jane's injury. But then beyond that, the sort of closing sequence of the match, there was more botches and you could tell that it was affecting Io. Like Io slipped off the top rope at one point as well. And you just, you it's awful. We've seen matches like this before when you feel like things are falling apart at the seams. And it's typically down to one person's inexperience kind of derailing the whole thing. In this case, it was two. Um, I'm an advocate in theory for this being as good evidence as any that you probably do need to bring back something like the Largo loop. But then that doesn't directly address the problem because Kenta Hideo Itami broke his neck 
working the Largo Loop against a young guy. And I, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was. And it's not really important because it's not that wrestler's fault either. You know, these these circumstances are not best fitting to the benefit of your veterans and your legends, nor the benefit of your trainees, effectively, which is what these two women were. Um, a disaster, and I'm surprised. Like, we've seen crap matches on NXT 2.0 but I'm surprised something like this hasn't happened sooner. Like this was rubbish and then it was dangerously rubbish too. It felt like Io Shirai was constantly, right, you go here and we'll do this, right? And you bugger off and then, right, come back and we'll do this spot. And all I could think afterwards was like, well, that was, like you say, a botch fest, really dangerous and concerning. So let's put these six women in a ladder match. That was my exact point. That was my exact red that I'm going to take. We can just play games next week as we always do. I'm going to talk about the ladder match now because it's the key point emerging from all of this. Two women who agree is great. One of them put herself in danger. In answer to Hamlet's query, what you do is you recruit people from a healthy and fertile independent circuit who probably <laughs> have the opportunity to make these mistakes before you put them on national television and endanger themselves and others. I just, it was just what a, I'm sorry, what a magnificently blackly comedic punchline this was in terms of you can, I'm not punching down at JC Jane at all. I'm punching up at this systemically inept, stupid organization where they put two grace green women involved in a somewhat ambitious match because a triple threat has its own specific like, arrangement and it's a few more, it's like literally one more extra thing to think about when you're in there. That ambition fell apart. And then when they span the wheel and made the deal, calling it Scareway to Hell. Jesus Christ, it's not just a ladder match. Just a, a be, you know, like it's, it's a certain non specific detail that just makes the best jokes work. Scareway to Hell. <laughs> He's already just done it. <laughs> and I, I was thinking, oh, well, at least I suppose, you know, if I wouldn't wish an injury on anyone. Um, but if JC Jane is injured, they can substitute her out because there's three members of Toxic Attraction. Oh, no, wait, Mandy Rose is already in a match on that show. Just they've, they've already promised to step now. Mm hmm. Like Vincent Mann's got a different philosophy. It is so show, sure, goddammit. Where matches, ah, who cares what I've advertised? Vincent Mann attractions. He's not gonna not do an attraction. And this mm. is their attraction for Halloween Havoc. Um good luck, everyone. Yeah, following on from uh, what we saw earlier, uh Legada del Fantasma right now beating up. Uh, Cora's boyfriend Trey Baxter in comes Briggs and Jensen to make the save though big brawl with Lagana del Fantasma we get a vignette for Solo Sokoa the street champion in the island arrives next week and then Ikamanjiro sneaks up on Kushida in the toilet he talks about how excited he is to team with Kushida uh, and Kushida says I want to be style strong like you Jiro and Jiro says no 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 and he empties <laughs> he empties Kushida's bag all over the urinal floor, puts his gear on him, puts in the Marty McFly vest and says, we need to go back to the future. And they high five. And for some reason, the colour in the bathroom changes. Brilliant, Sige. Uh, like, he's not having a pace there. That annoyed me. He's not having a pace. He's going, Aah! and then, you know, putting his cock back in, his cack back in his, he's not having a pace. So it's like amateur hour. I mean, I'm not desperate to see Kashida take a piss, if I'm being perfectly honest, but he's not having a piss. You have the Stanislavskian um, acting method from Kushida. 
have an actual piss. Let's go full method with this. Or at least block the segment in a way that it doesn't look like a fake, stupid nonsense. Mm. I, that's, that shouldn't be concerned about this. I'm not I bother really. If it's, if it's just not happened yet and it's cack to the future. Have <laughs> 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 the conversation and Kashid will start pissing. So he's obviously not having a piss. Can't see his cack. And uh, then... Why would you want to be friends with Sonny? <laughs> it didn't matter. Like, what a load of absolute. It, it didn't. Um, other than obviously, yeah, all of this taking place in the Rhino because Bruce Pritchard just cannot help himself. This. Uh, how do we always phrase this? This didn't feel on, did it? There's something very not on about this already because of how the four men making this show would see Ikemanjiro and Kashida and think, "What can we do with these guys?" Like it's all they know is to book these men like this and mm. I didn't like it yeah I, I didn't like that and I, I just to reiterate I wouldn't like it if one of you said oh well I've got this great plan but a part of it is me emptying your clothes onto the what culture toilet floor I'd be more <laughs> annoyed than Kushida was here if someone went poured it out and I was like it's clearly going to be pissed have you been to any many men's urinals ever this is coated in a layer of piss and now so is his back to the future Get up, basically. Yeah, they're just two nerds, though. Yeah, so. yeah, anyway. Two pitiful geeks. Shall we get to, once again, the highlight of this show? A man who steals the show anytime he's on it and dominates the screen and should be in the main event of WrestleMania next year, in my opinion, because he's a, a dream. Who is this? It's Tony D'Angelo, huh? He comes <laughs> out, hey, what are you talking about? Oh, he comes down to the ring. He sh- he's played a fight in some roofing jobber. Who cares? Shoulder tackles him. This is what I'm talking about. Huh? Puts him in a headlock. This is like beating up my little brother. Uh, gives him a little nuggie. Well, how do we not suggest that he was going to give me a little nuggie on the top of his head? He, uh, come on, give me a break. Uh, he's just laying into him here. Feng fights back. Nays nails him with a few few forearms. And uh, first one, Tony D'Angelo goes, what? Is that all you got? Takes a big old shot. Oh, bloody hell. Okay, I guess that is what you got. <laughs> <laughs> bloody hell. Bloody hell, that is what you got. <laughs> bloody hell, that's what you got. <laughs> he shoulder tackles him down, though. Gets him short arm clothesline in. Look at this guy. He's done. He is done. Northern Lights suplex, that twisting fisherman's buster. One, two, three. Twisting sleeping with the fisherman's buster. Ooh, they start oh. giving it a bloody name. I thought it should call it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Samantha, I think, I think that's good. Wasn't great. I need I need a little bit, I need a little bit of sauce on tap. I need to take something out of tap, huh? Well, boy, did What's we get the boy did we get it? Samantha <laughs> Irvin, huh? She gets in and she asks him uh, about last week and the disappearance of Mark, the producer of uh, Lash Legends Lashing Out segments. Uh, whether or not, you know, Dawny knows anything about that. He says, uh, what's wrong with you? Huh? Don't be a little bit nosy for me. He's some kind of snitch. Huh? He says, look, I swear on my grandfather, Junior. Junior! Yeah, there he is. I swear on my... Obviously, he's going to have an uncle called Big Pussy now. (laughs) (laughs) I swear on my grandfather, Junior's grave, I don't know nothing about nothing. Hey, what do I know? Maybe he went on vacation, huh? And he goes, yeah. And I fucking called this. 
I'm taking a victory lap for this. Now, I didn't call it this week, Hamblet, but Sidge will verify that I said... Verified. He, uh, he brought the referee. I'd suggested prior to his debut that at the end of the match, he gives money to the referee and goes, hey, get yourself something nice. Not that. Here, instead, because they've been sniffing around. She's been a bit of a nosy bitch, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> he slips her some cash. He says, hey, go buy yourself something nice. And forget about it. It's so over. This is insane. <laughs> uh, like, I'm gonna be the boring guy here. Like, this is the best. This is the absolute platonic ideal of Bruce Pritchard's entire ethos. So we're telling stories. But actually, yeah. story of the Angelos <laughs> killing people. They're weaving in it, in it, weaving that this killing. In and out of like the Lash Legend stuff, and you know, like the feds are onto him. <laughs> Tony D'Angelo, like he continues to wrestle. Like I wouldn't want to wrestle him. That's the nicest thing I can say. Not because he's like dangerous, but because like his stuff looks like it really hurts. It's not particularly like thrilling. Yeah, it's not particularly state of the art, but like you can tell he's a legitimate grappler and hard dude. So you know, he's got the he's got. The, Try to do great fundamentals in an Italian American accent. I don't know. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this. Right. I, I just need to detrain myself from saying great fundamentals. Great fundamentals, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, exceptional uh, fundamentals, eh? Uh, he's got the core of what he's trying to do. Yeah. I'm telling you now. He's a good version of a meme wrestler because he's. Got this catchphrase over yeah. in this segment. The like the 112 fans in the NXT 2.0 arena are all in unison from next week are going to join him in catchphrase shouts of forget about it. Yeah, I'm not to get too hyperbolic here, but a bit like The Rock, he can say almost anything <laughs> Rock could say it and then go, if you smell, everyone goes, oh, if you smell, he could say anything and he'd say, and don't forget, forget about it, and the hand gesture. And the best thing is, it works in the parameters of NXT's booking because they love to do this really obnoxious. We didn't lose last week. We absolutely did not lose last week. Um, we were lucky or didn't count or whatever. Tony D'Angelo can lose. And then he'll get his heat back, and I'll still like him because he'll go, yeah, 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 I lost last week. But forget about it! Hamflet, <laughs> uh, this is your first live experience of Tony D'Angelo. Talk me through it, huh? Legitimately blissful. Like, a blissful experience. I had measured expectations because I thought it's just going to be funny. That forget about it got a huge pop. Huge. Right again, there was only 112 people, the hugest pop 112 people can make. <laughs> However, and I said this over the virtual desks to you this morning. One of my favorite things about AEW is that we get to preview and we get to suggest and we get the fantasy book, and then they go and do something better. Now, I know you'd said, which I didn't realize that you'd obviously kind of called this the other week, but we all had fairly realistic pitches for what the funny word was going to be, and only was it not the one we went for, but it was the one as kind of Cedric alluded to that made sense within the context of a storyline that he's killed a guy. Like, that's that's an in-character detail. That's not just chasing a cheap punchline. They've actually found out, they've found something that you need to forget about. 
if you're going to forget about it. And that was what I was so inspired by after, you know, like a, a fairly a standard but enjoyable squash. Like nothing like leapt off the screen in terms of what he did in the ring, but it was all very good. And it makes you think, well, so if he's coachable, there's probably something even better in there. This character is connecting. He's good at his character. He believes the character. So I'll believe it. Like, I believe that's just how he goes about living his life. He's cutting people. He's killing people. And it's warm. Like those things he loves. <laughs> those are the things he loves. And I love him for it. This was, yeah, there was a real difference for how much I enjoyed, well, and our discussion of all the original Tony D'Angelo vignettes and the delivery of that, forget about it. Like here, there was a huge difference between the two. And yeah, as Cedric pointed out, next week, that's going to be over. He's like, I didn't even realise, because I think it was just a screenshot Cedric sent me when he debuted. He's a, he is a baby face. I thought this was going to be one of them things that they just didn't realise they're going to try and book him as a heel. And they've, they've picked up on that straight away. He's a baby face. He's hugely popular. This, they understand now that this kind of mean quality to his character does actually translate into the building because the people in the building are not, as JBL would say, internet fans. Everybody's got the phone. Everybody's on Twitter. What's funny on your phone is funny when you take that phone and walk into a building with it, and they've actually figured that out. Lads, I'm going to suggest something here. Feel free to say no. But, you know, you've got kids, so this holiday takes on a special significance, I have no doubt, for, for both of you. Shall we all dress as Tony D'Angelo for Halloween? <laughs> Trick off in three. <laughs> I just, I really want to tell my wife, you'd be a bit nosy there. Huh? What are you, some kind of snitch? Hey, forget about it! Make sure you say snitch. Three days of the silent treatment, Jesus Christ, will you forget about it! <laughs> <laughs> you stupid snitch! <laughs> hey, Wes, you've not got me anything for my birthday. I'm sorry, love, I forgot about it! <laughs> Go get yourself something next time. Uh, one, what connects? How do you follow that? You go to bloody Duke's poker room. That's how. Duke, Duke bloody Hudson. He's playing a bit of bloody Texas Hold'em poker. And he beats this bloke with a hand. I don't really know, to be honest, a great deal about poker. He got a full bloody house. That's all I know. And he turns to the camera and says, hey, Duke's poker room is always open. And you can call me the house because the house always wins. I mean, He's going to be fine because he's six foot five, but this gimmick is uh, is something else, Sige. Uh I mean, he's he's naturally got that which has been imposed upon him—a personality. Just let him have a personality. It's it's just uh, it's it's inoffensive. What's that program player? He's got so much potential. It's inoffensively quite amusing, I guess. Yeah. I I love when WWE, and this is like the historic thing, does either occupation or hobby-based gimmicks where they go so far into it that they kind of forget that the guy's supposed to be a wrestler. He's six foot five and jacked, and the one thing I don't know about him is that he can wrestle. He really, <laughs> knows, he really knows his poker. They would do this sometimes with Bob Holly. Like every now and then they'd remember at the end, oh, hang on, right, how are we going to tie racing, car racing into wrestling? Like it's going to be like, uh, you know, are you go around corners, I'm going to send the heels of WWE around the bend. But sometimes it'll just be like, hey, I'm Bob Harley, my friend's called me Sparky, because I love cars. It's like, right. <laughs> it's, it's just you then. Like, Duke Josie's just on the dust. Like, he's forgotten that, like, if I can pick up bins, think about what I can do to you, Mantar. It was, no, it was just like, I, I love collecting garbage. 
I, I love it when they do this and they forget the point. Like, we've forgotten what we're doing here. Like, <laughs> a full world poker tournament with Duke Hudson and he's not even been booked to work yet. Great. Oh, God, yeah. Book him on the World Series of Poker. Just have, have a wrestler go, oh, my God, that'd be so good. Anyway, uh, Briggs and Jensen against uh, Mendoza and Wild of Lagarde Tel Fantasma next. Uh, although uh, we didn't see Briggs and Jensen because as their music was playing, they didn't come out. And uh, one of them's been, one of Briggs and Jensen, I don't know which one it was, had been knocked down. And the other one gets twatted with a chair before they can make their entrance. And out come Legado, sort of, <laughs> see you out there if you can make it sort of thing. When we come back from the break, they have made it out there. But uh, Mendoza and Wild are in control. Jensen fires up, though. Uh, Hoy's uh, whacking Wild across the ring. In comes Briggs. He slams Wild down off the ropes. Hits him with a one-arm choke slam. Uh, later on, he comes back in and uh, Wild gets hit with a double-team back suplex. No, Wild and Mendoza hit a double-team back suplex. The numbers game, the, the fact that they aren't injured allows Legado del Fantasma to take control. Jensen comes in. That's a great bit of a, a hot tag, running wild. Escobar, who's been interfering on several times, shoving them into the apron on the outside or whatever it may be. He jumps up on the apron. Uh, he gets nailed by Jensen, but that allows... Uh, wild to recover. Tilt whirl into the uh, leg lariat combo finisher thing. Legado del Fantasma. Get the victory here, mm. Hamplo. Oh, I couldn't agree more with Cedric. Like if there's if NXT 2.0 is a license for you to um, just invent a new gimmick out of thin air, can we do it for these two dorks, these bar fighting cowboys? What a boring gimmick, a boring, tired act that even felt like it was getting buried here by the nature of the fact they got beat up beforehand and then beaten in the match. Like they didn't even get the sort of, um, oh yeah, we've we've had to kind of come from underneath because of the backstage assault, you know, and now we're going to be like covered in glory because we've survived this onslaught and we've gone on to like beat Lagarde El Fantasma. These veterans in this context, uh, was this a write-off of Briggs and Jensen and Jensen and Briggs? Because I just think this, like, this is when this sort of thing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Is when you've got when you've got this gimmick factory and it spits out a dud, and I think that's what you've got here because the match was pretty drab as a result. Oh, just drab. Action, a, a very clear telegraphing of what the whole core objective was is to get Legado del Fantasma's heat back. But we'll do that by beating up this team that we're pushing because we're pushing everyone. <laughs> we don't like people losing. Ah, oh, just what a waste of my time. Like, just a cynical, boring and cynical and crap. Uh, we get a nice video package hyping up Raquel Gonzalez and Mandy Rose. The women's nice. It was absolutely regressive and awful. The women's title match next week. Uh, Gonzalez, you know, wants to show her why she's the champion, and Rose wants to win the title because she'll make it, it hit and her look good, basically. Uh, Dakota Kai's in a graveyard. Oh, sorry, the mystery person's in a graveyard. Hoy is <laughs> in a hole uh, with a voice changer and there's chairs and mirrors and crutches and all this sort of stuff being hoy. It's Dakota Kai. And then Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams are in the locker room trying to find the NXT North American Championship. All they can find is Igam Giro's numerous jackets. And then they find a locker which has got cobwebs and skeletons in and a note oh. from Dexter Loomis. <laughs> Uh, inviting them to a haunted house next week. Yes, please. Bobby. I mean, no, because Carmelo, who, Carmelo Hayes is actually cool, and this is going to not destroy him, but it's going to be a blip because they're going to do more absolutely rubbish CGI haunted house stuff on Halloween Havoc next week. It's going to be absolutely dire. I love how stupid this show is, and I love this specific stupidity because I ruined it. 
Ikemanjiro having so many jackets that he takes off all of the lockers, it's, it's not the worst gag in the world. Dexter Loomis, because he wants you to know how spooky he is, <laughs> ornately decorating his locker with Halloween stirs <laughs> is absolutely atrocious, on the nose, bollocks, that if you think about it for more than two seconds, and you shouldn't, it's WWE, you think, oh, he's made that. It's a nice little time. And then again, Gargano's such a geek, it could have been him. Yeah. I can't wait for Halloween Havoc. You've got you've got that. You've got uh, the the debut of Solo Sokoa. You've got a bloody scareway to hell ladder match for the uh, women's tag titles. You've got the women's championship match again. That spin the wheel, make the deal, just like the tag team championship match, MSK versus Imperium. Uh, it's going to be hosted. Well, we'll find out who's going to be hosted by in a second. Chucky is going to be the special guest. You go into a haunted house with Dex Loomis. And we're probably going to get the crowning of Brown Breaker as NXT champion. I can't wait for next week, Hamlet. There is some good stuff there, right? But I, I, I feel bad here because I don't want to douse your excitement for Halloween Havoc. But I think it might suck. Last year's show was as great as it was because it was the first NXT that hadn't felt like NXT in ages, in absolutely ages. There was place for Cameron Grimes and Dexter Lumis to do that mad zombie stuff. There was a real sense of fun and energy about it. It was it was themed in a way that, um, like a lot of that stuff last year, you know, like the, they would have the special dynamites and like one of one criticisms that we seem to have consistently was like, how would I like theme it a bit more? You could really have some fun with this. And for a change, NXT got that aspect of it right. 2.0 is pretty much all Halloween Havoc all the time, whether you want it or not. <laughs> it's like 24-7 Halloween Havoc. The show, that's kind of what the show is. So I'm worried that next week, Bike it like half the half the wrestlers have been trick or treating for the last six weeks. You've got a poker player, you've got a mafia guy. <laughs> They've been in their costumes since 2.0 launched. Um, and I just I don't know. I think so, like the title match feels like this big deal, but the Halloween Havoc silly stuff might just look like any sort of standard week. Like, how do you how do you dress up the 2.0 arena? Surely you've got to dress it like you've got to turn the lights down. If anything, you've got to make it look more like the CWC to make it <laughs> on make it on theme. Um I at like this show is a big themed pantomime week on week. And I'm not sure that they can double down on that for Halloween Havoc. I'd love to be proved wrong. I just I'm I'm not sure that it'll deliver in the way that last year's did, because last year's was such a tonic. Right, then we got Grayson Waller, the thrill-seeking Golden Gloves guy, versus L.A. Knight to find out who's going to be the host of Halloween Havoc. Uh, brief, brief match, Waller got a lot of uh, roll-ups and backslides and pinfall attempts early on, L.A. Knight, trying to shake that off. Uh, Waller goes to hit the, I think, the jumping stunner. He comes off the ropes. L.A. Knight ducks underneath it and hits the BFT. He wins. He is the host of Halloween Havoc, but enough of all that bollocks. Ladies and gentlemen, your winner of this week's Zeitgeist Heist, one Michael Sidgwick. It was a <laughs> reference to Kanye West, shortening his name to Ye, made by Wade Barrett, suggesting LA Knight just become LA Sidge. I love this because it's how I arrived at the answer. <laughs> Literally, it was announced on the day of the show. So the intern is... Uh, Went to the writers' room. Went, well, I've got, it, I've got it. What's um, Lash Legend doing this week? And the writers went, I don't know. <laughs> and then is that right? Okay, well, you know, you know, I've, I've done my job. I've, I've found an, a, a hot trending topic, and Bruce has gone. 
Uh, Barrett will say it. <laughs> Amazing. What did you think of, of the uh, the match itself, Hamlet? I proved my working out. Yeah, it's you did. You did good working. Uh, I don't know. Remember when we previewed the very first episode of all of this, and we thought LA Knight was a banker to win the title because he was quite jacked, and then they just introduced us to Braun Breaker. Like, oh, I've got a better jack guy that we've never even heard or seen of. He'll do. Um, I still sort of feel like that for LA Knight. He feels like he's a little bit in limbo all of a sudden, and this sort of brings me back to the Halloween Havoc point. What a star-making night last year's Halloween Havoc was for Shotty Blackheart, who understood her role impeccably in that entire presentation. I've got my doubts that LA Knight can be that on whatever this version of Halloween Havoc is. I really feel like I've pissed on your chips, Wilborn. I'm sorry. I've just I've got worries about it all. I'll cheer him up. LA Knight's going to be absolutely incredible in this. Film. Absolutely. I don't know why. You might have to interact with Chucky. How good is that going to be? They're not like made him a bit more. But I feel like they're bringing him out as like a sort of 2005. Deep South guy. They've made him like duller. It's like when Alex Riley was all about his rage instead of the Letterman jacket guy that hung out with the Miz. I feel like <laughs> they're actually they're, they're kind of like drabbing LA Knight a little bit. Oh, now that you mentioned Chucky, it's going to be appalling. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm with Hamza. I'm with Hamza. Right, cheers to us. Uh, right, main event time. <laughs> Bron Breaker, Tommaso Ciampa teaming up against the grizzled young veterans. And uh, yes, this was just the sneak peek I needed ahead of the NXT Championship match. Bron Breaker dominating early on. Power moves left, right and centre on James Drake and Zach Gibson. Drake bumping all over the place from him. Champa tags himself in to annoy Bron Breaker. Uh, hits a series of running clotheslines. Double clothesline to both the veterans to take him down. Uh, eventually they fight back though. Hit a downward spiral on Champa. Uh, Champa has to fight out. Uh, as he looks like he's trying to get to his corner. Drake just pulls him down via his beard. That must have sucked. Back suplex by Champa. He's about to get to the apron, but Gibson is scuttled under the ring. Pulls Brombreaker off the apron. There's no one there when Champa gets to his corner. They double team him. They cut the ring in half. He fights back again. Gibson runs around to do another cut off for Brombreaker and just gets nailed by a clothesline by him. But again, Breaker doing that means there's no one there for Champa to tag. Eventually, when Breaker gets back up on the apron, Champa admonishes him, asking him where he was, yells at him, slaps him, chops him in the chest for his disobedience. But of course, that counts. As a legal tag, in comes Breaker. It looks like maybe he's going to clothesline Champa, but he nails James Drake with the clothesline instead. Puts down the straps, goes for the Breaker recliner, and uh, <laughs> eventually Gibson has to break that one up. So he just picks Gibson up, hoys him out of the ring, and hits that gorilla press power slam on James Drake for the winning pinfall. And post-match, there's a stare down to set us up for next week. Like I keep saying, Hamphill, I can't wait. Yeah, like I'll take a small victory lap for myself. This was the better version of the Drew McIntyre Biggie tag match, wasn't it? Against the Dirty Dogs, because that's exactly what um, like was required here to sell you on your title match next week. And I think it was actually more effective. This was a very good TV main event um, because really it was masquerading as a match. The match only exists to serve the last two minutes, which was where we got all the story. But it was better than that, you know. When you know when that's obviously the case on Raw or SmackDown or NXT, to be honest, and they just neglect the main body of the match because you know they're working towards this ending where you're supposed to sense the drama between the partners or whatever. This match was better than that. The Grizzly Young Vets are, are a really strong team, so they made you think that the babyfaces had to actually fight to win this, and by doing that through the heat sequence, which was like really, really strong 
for again what the purpose of this match was they made you then care about the breaker and champer interactions later on it wasn't just boilerplate bland wrestling for six minutes to get to the final two where you get the two championship contenders facing off because can they coexist so this was the best version of a really awful thing that WWE have invented and I'm just so impressed with how they've got to um well everything actually about champer versus breaker I'm so impressed that they've made the NXT title feel like a prize worthy of such suspense and tension. I'm so impressed with this feeling that you've got that you can buy both winners on the night. Like, because it's so soon for Brombreaker, so, so soon. Um, and yet at the same time, because it feels earned, you can kind of see them just going all the way with it. it like, genuinely, genuinely impressed with all of this. And Brombreaker didn't feel anywhere near as hammy an actor in the role of, oh, yeah, like, keep that belt warm, keep that safe. Like, again, that's a really tough role that they force mm. a lot of meatheads to try and pull off. Like, meatheads can't just be meatheads anymore. They've got to have this Shawn Michaels introspection element to the character. And I thought he got away with that without looking like a tit as well. Like, I'm bang, bang into this main event next week. Genuinely, no taking the piss or anything. I want to sit and watch, and I don't know who's going to win, and I'm looking forward to the match itself. I have that same feeling ahead of the match, but I was lower on this main event purely because I'm just so tired by even a halfway not awful um, version of this trope. I just felt like I couldn't exist. I couldn't coexist with this goddamn match. Blanket, <laughs> blanket cynicism, just waiting for everything to happen that usually happens. They did a much better version of what usually happens, but I got pissed off with the whole them take the piss out of what happens on Raw. It's like, it's the same fucking company. Hmm. Don't do it if you think it's rubbish. Like, yeah. I, just got, I, I was emotionally removed from this match before it happened. I did love the slap tagging. Different hmm. version of that. Like, even Bron Breaker sold it really, really well. I remain apprehensive that Bron Breaker is just a really cool fire-up sequence at this point. But that's why he's in there with Champa. That's what the show is. I've made my peace with that. Yeah, I'm, I've got any idea who's going to win next week and I want to see the match. So can they have done any more than that? Yeah, hell of a go-home show ahead of Halloween Havoc. Uh, the best wrestling show of the week in the books once again. Let us know your thoughts oh, yeah. on NXT. <laughs> oh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch today, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, later on today, myself and Michael Hamflit will be looking ahead to Crown Jewel on Thursday. So make sure you join us for that one. But for now, this has been the NXT 2.0 review. My thanks to the Dally Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.